Welcome to Purpose Inc., the podcast where we discuss corporate purpose and stakeholder capitalism. I'm your host, Michael Young. The central question of this podcast is whether and to what extent corporations can be productive social actors. In 2020, the intersections between corporations and society has never been more starkly or sharply defined. First with COVID and, and corporate relations with workers, and now with the long overdue conversation we're having about racial inequality and, and injustice in the immediate aftermath of the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery. If you've not watched it, I would commend to you the eulogy of George Floyd given by the Reverend Sharpton in Houston on June 9th, which in my view is the second most important speech on the subject of race in America after Dr. King. I'll link the speech in the show notes below. You can find it on YouTube. And in that very moving and powerful sermon, Reverend Sharpton makes a point about the rule of law and police. And he says, not only should the rule of law apply to police, but it should apply to an even higher level and a higher standard because the police are given special powers to arrest and to use deadly force. There can be no lower standard. My guest today is Grady Crosby, the vice president of public affairs and the chief diversity officer of Johnson Controls. And Grady brings up a correlative and equally powerful point about the role of corporations that they play in society as a force for good. And it is because corporations as entities, as citizens in our society have special powers. They can't be arrested, they can't be sent to jail, they live in perpetuity, they pay taxes at a lower rate. And corporate, so corporations have a unique role to play in our society precisely because they have these special powers. And as Grady says, with great power comes great responsibility. And that corporate, corporate citizens must be held to higher standards. And so t today, Grady and I talk about that. And he shares very forcefully and directly about systemic racism and police brutality and the asymmetric impacts that racism has on African-Americans and, and people of color and vulnerable communities in terms of health and economic outcomes and protection and safety and public safety. And he talks about a lot the inequities between people of color, African Americans in particular, and, and corporations, whether it be in hiring and leadership and in board representation. But as a corporate citizen, Johnson Controls does much more than talk the talk. And that's what we get into today. And Grady unfurls the efforts that Johnson Control is making and the many commitments it has as a corporate citizen in taking on issues of social and economic inequality and racial inequality, in particular as a, as a very large employer 
and corporate citizen in the city of Milwaukee in particular, but more broadly um, as a global citizen. Uh, Grady is a sought-after speaker on corporate purpose and sustainability and diversity and inclusion. I've seen him on innumerable podcasts and webinars, and I was thrilled and excited when he agreed to come on this podcast. Grady holds a JD from Wake Forest University's Law School and a Bachelor of Political Science from Howard University. Grady has been incredibly generous with his time and his, and his insights to me in helping me understand and talk about the issues of corporate citizenship and the role that corporations have in our society. And I'm really grateful to Grady for coming on the podcast. So without further ado, my conversation with Grady Crosby of Johnson Controls. Grady, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Michael, for inviting me. I appreciate the opportunity to be here with um, Purpose, Inc. Awesome. So uh, just if you could uh, give us your bio and who you are, what you do at Johnson Controls. Yeah, so real briefly, Michael, um, again, my name is Grady Crosby. Uh, I'm the Vice President of Public Affairs and the Chief Diversity Officer of Johnson Controls. I also have the uh, pleasure of serving as president of the Johnson Controls Foundation. I always tell people Johnson Controls is probably one of the biggest pe uh, companies that people have never heard of, uh, so to speak. But we uh, make uh, building automation equipment. Um, we do a lot of in, in the area of uh, HVAC equipment, building operations control, fire security, uh, suppression, as well as building access controls and things of that nature. Uh, and so in my role in public affairs, um, in my group, I have everything from, you know, our sustainability initiatives to community involvement and engagement to um, uh, our workforce diversity, uh, also liaise with our procurement team on supplier diversity. And of course, uh, work with our and lead the uh, philanthropic efforts of the uh, company. So I consider what we do as being the conscience, uh, if you will, of the company. Um, so we really are in, squarely engaged in the corporate social responsibility space. Mm. Excellent. Excellent. That's a big, very broad brief you have. Um, and I want to get into a lot of that, um, but in particular, in light of recent protests about police brutality and racial inequality. And as you know, um, and, and systemic racism in our society, and as you know, the purpose of this podcast is to talk about how and to what extent corporations can and are productive social actors. And so if you could give me your thoughts on the last couple of weeks, we're recording this in the second week of June. Um, George Floyd's funeral was yesterday. So how do you think about this and what's happened in, in our society? Yeah, Michael, um, it's, it's been tough. It's not only been a tough couple of weeks, but um, it's been a tough last few months. It's been a tough year. Um, I saw someone on their Facebook page said that, you know, somebody needs to hit reset, if you will, uh, for 2020. Uh, but yeah, we have a part of our community that's really uh, hurting um, because, and, and the George Floyd uh, murder, if you will, um, it's 
you know, it's just kind of the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back and, and causes people to get out in the street and say, you know, no more um, to systematic um, racial uh, inequality, uh, police brutality. Um, black lives are worth far more um, than a $20 bill, uh, if you will. So, uh, so what we saw uh, was just a response to uh, really what has been building up in our society for some time now. You can uh, continue to count over and over to, again the uh, interactions that police have had with members of the Black community uh, that have gone uh, far south uh, interactions with just the Black community uh, and society in general that continue to go uh, far south. We think of the Central Park um, situation and then interactions between the Black community and uh, corporate America, where um, our, our Black community is far underrepresented, uh, not only with regard to corporate leadership, uh, but with regard to uh, even boards of directors that run these uh, companies. So when you compile um, you know, what has happened with regard to COVID-19 and the disproportionate impact that it's had on the uh, African-American community, um, and we know that that was and has been a result of a lot of the health inequities and disparities that go on in our communities. And then you think about the economic hit uh, that has happened as a result of COVID-19, which again has disproportionately impacted the black community. Because when you think about it, um, uh, there's a lot of black and brown people who are working in the service industry and those were the jobs that are, are eliminated during COVID-19 because you know nobody's going to bars and restaurants and movie theaters and things of that nature. Uh, anymore and and hotels and things of that nature. So um, so so you got the impact of that, and then uh, you think about the the, the racial inequity uh, and the police brutality that occurred uh, with Ahmaud Arbery, um, with um, George Floyd, and um, when people are fed up, they 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 take to the streets. So so all I can say is that I know that. Um, some type of systemic racism exists in our society. Um, and to what extent, what level, what degree is, you know, all the public debate that's going on right now. Um, but when you just look at the numbers, they just don't seem uh, to add up. And you have to ask yourself why. And if the reason is embedded in the systems that we continue to rely on um, for, our, uh, for our health uh, for our economic uh, well-being, as well as for our uh, protection and safety. You know, I was listening to Reverend Sharpton's eulogy yesterday, and <clears throat> and he said, you know, there's I think there's this calculus that we've talked about in our society, which is, you know, look how far we've come. And I think the thing that one of the things that he said that really struck me was but we don't understand how deep this goes. And I think, and by that, I mean, he meant how deep racism goes. And, and I think what you just said about COVID and systemic inequities and, you know, George Floyd is just one name 
right? There are hundreds and hundreds of names and thousands of names. And, <clears throat> and that I think is the, you know, the, how, you know, how deep it goes. But Mike, I, I guess the question, Grady, is have we come to terms? Fin- finally, has George Floyd ultimately, as you said, broken the camel's back? Do you think, I feel like something has shifted. H- how do you think about that? You know, Michael, it feels different because when you look at the outcry uh, that's going on in the, the street, the voices that are blending, uh, it's not just um, black voices, not just brown voices, but it's really uh, made up of, of, of all voices in our community. Um, and, you know, whether you are, I, I live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and, and whether you're on the most affluent street or whether you are in the proverbial hood, if you will, uh, voices are standing up and saying, you know, we, we, we won't continue to tolerate uh, racial injustice and black lives matter. And again, that goes from the, you know, million dollar mansions on, on, on uh, Lakefront Drive to um, those that are living in um, publicly, assisted, um, publicly assisted housing. Uh, in in Wisconsin, so that part of it feels different. However, I recognize uh, also that there still is a part uh, and a significant uh, segment of our society that still doesn't quite uh, either understand or um, have gotten has gotten to a point to where they are ready to acknowledge that you know that it may be time for some radical change to think about things drastically different. Uh, than they have been thought about uh, in the past. And I think that's where we're going to continue to have uh, some tension in terms of how do we bridge that understanding? How do we get people to continue to listen to each other and acknowledge that um, that there's parts of our society that's hurting and we need to figure out why and how we can make it better? Because truly, you, you know, your uh, podcast is uh, titled Purpose Inc. And, you know, one of our values at Johnson Controls is to be purpose-led. And that's because we believe that, you know, we are all inextricably, you know, woven together for a purpose um, to accomplish something great. And that connectivity uh, of people together means that sometimes I, I may not get to a total understanding of what's going on with you and your situation because I just don't have that background. I just don't have that sphere of knowledge, but maybe if I commit to trying to understand, uh, then perhaps I can add my voice and stand with you um, because I know your, your reality is reality. And, and although it may not be mine because um, we're kind of, you know, in this thing together, um, we, we have to stand up and continue to support all segments of our society. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm so hopeful that this is something uh, different, uh, but I'm uh, optimistically cautious um, that the heavy lifting is still uh, ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think I thought about that quote, Thurgood Marshall said, we have to dissent from indifference. And I think that's a lot of what 
society, white society has to do is really just say, you know, enough is enough. And I think we are seeing the, 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 the opening of that. So, you know, I do want to talk about where you sit in, in Johnson controls. And as you know, you were introducing yourself, I was thinking, wow, Johnson controls is about comfort and safety. And that's really maybe where we could start to tie some of this together because there are a lot of places and a lot of corners of our society that don't have that. So how do, how do, what, what are, what is Johnson controls doing? How are you prioritizing, um, inclusion? How, what, what actions are you taking? And that, and again, is a big part of the, you know, the, the, the critical journey of this podcast is really asking the question, let's, what are, are, tone and deeds lining up. And I think that's what we all need to do in every corner is hold ourselves accountable. And so I'm asking you, how does Johnson Controls come at this? What are the words and what are the actions? Yeah, we recognize um, when <clears throat> this situation was continuing to um, to grow with regard to not only COVID-19, but with regard to um, the civil unrest uh, as a result of the George Floyd uh, murder, that it was going to take more than just, you know, kind of thoughts and prayers and warm sentiments um, that were behind you. We're going to have to uh, continue to back that up with the actions that we had already started. And that's the great thing is that Johns Controls has always taken corporate social responsibility um, very serious. Um, we take our corporate citizenship very seriously. Um, when you think about it, The corporate citizen um, is a very special citizen in society. Uh, It has super uh, citizen rights, if you will. Um, For example, the corporate citizen um, lives in perpetuity. Uh, The corporate citizen pays taxes at a different rate. Um, The corporate citizen doesn't even have to serve jury duty. Uh, The corporate citizen can't be uh, handcuffed. Uh, and 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 hauled away to jail, and and no one can put a knee on the neck of the corporate citizen. And so, with 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 super rights of corporate citizenry, uh, come super responsibilities in our minds. Uh, and so, we look at it from a range of of perspectives. Not only our products and services, as you talked about, you know, we're all about being um, safe, smart, and sustainable. And where uh, that shows up in our business, in terms of our products. And our services from uh, HVAC uh, units and uh, operating systems to uh, fire protection and safety. Um, We think about creating safe, smart, and sustainable communities when we uh, look at it on the uh, philanthropic side. We make sure that not only our products and services do no harm, but we also want to make sure that our company is trying to do good as well. And then we think about it from the standpoint of... um, just making sure, Michael, we're engaging in strong business practices around ethics, uh, diversity and sustainability, you know, kind of from the concept that, you know, everything that builds equity inside a company ultimately uh, can build equity outside of a company um, as well. And so uh, and so from a diversity and inclusion standpoint, uh, we've been very committed to our employee experience. Uh, making sure that um, from the onboarding of employees within Johns Controls, they understand about our commitment uh, to diversity and inclusivity. Um, We have uh, 
uh, and are launching an enterprise uh, internship program um, to make sure that we are uh, shepherding the diverse talent um, in a way that's going to help them continue to grow and develop and have an opportunity uh, to advance uh, in the company as well. From a talent management standpoint, we're trying to make sure that we um, see everything that we do through a lens of DNI competency. And so trying to make sure that all of our initiatives uh, have this component of looking at how it impacts uh, our diverse population within uh, Johnson Controls. Um, that means that we have to uh, upskill everyone from a learning and development standpoint. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about uh, implicit or unconscious uh, bias and biases are something that just um, exist, and we need to make sure that we're acknowledging that, but making sure that our people have the skills necessary to leverage that to be able to um, uh, manage and produce and grow all the talent that comes in uh, to Johns Control. So a number of things went on the DNI side, but then you know you look on the community side, uh, and we've had a long-standing commitment to the uh, African American uh, community. Um, we have. Um, uh, in Milwaukee, a unique relationship with uh, some neighborhoods that sit very close to our uh, main corporate campus here in Milwaukee. And these are neighborhoods that are primarily African-American neighborhoods that are facing uh, a, a number of challenges. And we decided to double down with the place-based initiative in these neighborhoods. Um, and our, our goal and focus there uh, three years ago when we decided this um, was to change the trajectory of lives. And over the last two years, we've poured in uh, a little more than $2 million in programs that directly support those who live and work in those uh, neighborhoods. Uh, I've been a longtime supporter of uh, UNCF. Uh, and, 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 and actually, one thing that's um, interesting, even though we kind of sit in the Midwest and Chicago is our big brother, if you will, to the, um, uh, to the South, um, it's, it's been here in Milwaukee and a lot has, has had to do with the, the support of Johnson Controls um, that we've raised more money for UNCF um, annually uh, than even our friends in Chicago through their annual fundraising um, programs. We're also um, just you know, really proud to say that we were one of the million dollar contributors to a brand new museum project that is now under construction in Charleston. Um, South Carolina, called the International African American Museum, which kind of traces the, um, the 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 slave trade from um, the shores of West Africa to um, places within the Low Country, where especially Charleston, and particularly at a, a site called Gaston's Wharf, where um, you can trace about eighty percent of those who uh, are. Uh, African-Americans living in the U.S. today, uh, back to someone in their lineage, uh, would have landed at Gatson's Wharf. And so so that project is kind of being billed as the um, Ellis Island experience uh, for African-Americans here in the United States. And, and the reason why I'm just bringing all of this up is because through these efforts, we're always looking at how we can continue to invest in uh, kids to see some things that they haven't seen before, um, to expose them to careers that um, they may not necessarily think um, may not necessarily think of as a first choice, um, but really, um, you know, trying to point kids to the science and technology um, type of careers um, so that we can, you know, continue to grow the capacity within our communities. And I haven't even talked about, of course, our supplier diversity program. Where we're engaging with a, a number of um, 
uh, women and minority owned businesses. So, so, so there's a body of work, Michael, that we're trying to continue to foster and support um, to show all elements of our community that Johnson Controls is really serious about our commitment to our communities in total. And, and, and of course, we have a special relationship with the um, African-American community. So, so we're not only hmm. trying to, to talk the, the talk, but, but we're trying to walk the talk um, as well in a number of different areas. And put your money where your mouth is, which is always great to hear. I, I think you're a Howard Bison. Is that correct? Yep, that is um, correct. That I is went true. to Howard University and, uh, yeah. and I have a legacy son who graduated from Howard as well. Fantastic. And I, I you know, I, I think what's your what's your thought on d- recruitment out of uh, historically black colleges and universities and. And is that something that Johnson Controls does? And and I guess, what advice would you give to other organizations in particular in deepening? Because again, this is where I think, you know, there's been, there's been talk. Now, I think we're going to see corporations really start to move and act. And so do you have Thoughts there in particular on recruitment and, and talent recruitment. And, and this is part of our um, talent strategy at Johnson Controls. Um, certainly one of our partner schools is Howard University because we're always looking for um, engineers and Howard has an excellent engineering program. And when you think about the HBCUs um, uh, in general, um, for those who may not be familiar with that acronym, historically black colleges and universities, um, the HBCUs are producing somewhere close to 50% of the um, African-American engineers uh, in the U.S. Uh, today. And so if you want um, and are looking for uh, African-American talent, black talent, African-American engineers like Johns Controls, then you need to go where they are. And so we are partnering with the um, the Howards of the world and the North Carolina uh, A&T State University and um, and the uh, Tuskegee's. And, um, you know, there are a number of gyms uh, of institutions and, 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 and colleges and universities of higher, higher uh, learning um, where this talent is, 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 is just there and, and waiting to continue to be tapped. But I, I, I continue to emphasize to folk um, that it takes a commitment um, to wanting um, to, you know, kind of uh, be there and understand, if you will, um, the needs that go on within HBCU communities as well. Um, HBCUs have traditionally provided a little bit more in terms of wraparound services for its students than uh, our larger majority um, uh, colleges. I say that um, thinking about uh, even my own experience, how uh, I had professors that were so willing to lean in um, with my personal growth and development. Um, we had smaller class sizes, more people lived on campus. And so HBCUs had a very big and still have a very big dependence on um, people living on campus and, and, and utilizing uh, campus dining facilities. And when COVID happened and everyone had to go home, um, the HBCUs um, were probably hit even more uh, more so because of the model 
of not necessarily having shifted to distant or remote learning as quickly or early as some of the other institutions, as well as um, the fact that, you know, now we have real revenue streams um, that were going away. So if companies are really serious about um, identifying uh, African-American talent, black talent, um, the HBCUs continue to be that gym and they need our support now more so than ever uh, because of the impact of COVID and because of the fact that these are the, are the institutions that have historically uh, fought against racial injustice, have historically stood up for our communities and have historically provided uh, educational opportunities to allow people to really full, fully live out, you know, what we consider or call the American dream. And that is to, you know, to have the ability to be all uh, that God has purposed you to be. Yeah. Yeah. My dad taught at Meharry for many years. He taught yeah. human anatomy as a PhD in human anatomy, and he did his postdoc at Vanderbilt. And then he went and worked at Meharry for, I think, eight or nine years through in the 60s. So very familiar with, uh, actually grew up on that campus, you might say. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. I had a cousin that went to, um, to Fisk uh, University. Yeah. So, you know, right there in, in Nashville, yep. but Harry. Yep. Uh, and again, you know, people say, well, you know, why, why do you have these HBCUs? One of the reasons is because um, at the majority institutions, uh, black folk were not allowed to go. And right. so there was a, a need and there still is a need for that specialized type of care. Uh, yeah. And Harry, Howard University Hospital are still providing um, valued service um, and, and, and still producing more black doctors in the world uh, yeah. than, than, than a lot of our majority institutions. Yeah, yeah. All right, Grady, we're coming up on time here. So I just maybe if you could just share overall your lessons learned and advice for those who were like you on on this journey and especially now in light of you know post George Floyd post covid corporate corporate social responsibility give us your perspective if you would in your closing remarks well you know again michael thank you so much for the opportunity to even be here today and i've enjoyed this conversation but i, I think at the end of the day um, people have to um, continue to seek understanding. Uh, and the best way uh, to start that uh, knowledge journey, if you will, is to be willing to listen. And so, so, so we have to have more people listening to each other. And on the business side, businesses just have to challenge each other to do better uh, and continue to collaborate on best practices. You know, uh, businesses are known for competing against each other, but this is a space when we talk about corporate social responsibility where we can be collaborative and we can um, share with each other what are some of the best um, practices in order to gain impact in the communities that we we serve and and we have to be patient um, corporate social responsibility is still a fairly young discipline if you will um, you know companies have always had CEOs and CFOs and general counsels and things of that nature um, but we haven't always had departments that were working towards gaining impact in communities and trying to improve lives and live out um, what the business roundtable has you know, called upon to be kind of an increased, yeah, if you will, purpose of the corporation. And that is to take a, into account 
uh, a wide uh, range of view towards um, its stakeholders. And so the beautiful thing uh, about corporate social responsibility is that um, we don't need to patent our work. Uh, we can share it freely, uh, knowing that, you know, everybody will benefit when we uh, share our best practices. And, and I'll leave you with this. Um, you know, Mark, Mark Twain said, uh, in order to get the full value of joy, uh, you, you should find someone to divide it with. And, and we know at Johnson Controls that there is a tremendous amount of joy in giving. Uh, and we want to partner with any companies who are so willing um, so that we can continue to divide the joy and gain impact in our community. Yeah, that's, well, that's really powerful, that open source idea of the good, right? That it's not something you kind of hold on to as an organization, but you share it freely. That's really powerful. And I, I also love what you said about corporate citizenship. And as a, an entity with great power comes great responsibility. And so I really, really, really appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us today, Grady. Thank you so much. Absolutely, Michael. Thank you. Anytime. The Purposing Podcast is a production of Actual Agency, helping innovators communicate in a changing world. More at www.actual.agency.